I invite you to open up your copy of God's Word to Mark chapter 7. We'll pick up here at verse 31. Mark 7. Beginning at verse 31. Let's hear God's word together. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were open, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus, Jesus charged them to tell no one but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute to speak. This passage is uh, incredible for a number of reasons. First, when we think about this, the region and the reason why he's asked them to keep quiet. Because there's sometimes, as you read the gospel account, where he tells them uh, to go and tell. Uh, go and tell your family. Go and tell the priest. Go and tell your friends. And there's other times he tells them, be quiet about what has happened. Well, here, the region it gives us an indication as to why uh, he is telling this group of people to be silent. In, in verse 31, it tells us that he was in the region of the Decapolis, now, if you remember back just a few chapters, what happened in the Decapolis? Well, that was at one point an unreached area, not too long before this. Unreached. No one was even interested in the name of Jesus. When Jesus arrived on the shore there, no one showed up except for a naked man who was crazy. Remember the man who was possessed by a legion of demons? He was the only one who showed up to Jesus on this shore. Back in chapter 5 of Mark. This was the region of the Decapolis. The Decapolis was a collection of 10 cities. It was like saying the GTA, how it collects all these different cities. The Decapolis was 10 different cities. And this was the region, the area where Jesus was and saw this man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. Not a soul was interested before. No one showed up. But this time he shows up on the shore and there's a crowd. They've now heard because with the man who was possessed with a demon, he didn't tell him, just keep quiet. That man begged Jesus, let me come with you. I want to I minister with you. I want to live with you. I want to travel with you. And Jesus said to that man, no, no, you need to stay and you need to tell all your friends what God has done for you. This was an unreached area that had never heard of Jesus. They were terrified. Jesus asked Jesus to leave. So Jesus told the man, I'm commissioning you to go with the message, to tell the people about me in this region. Now he arrives again, and the crowd has gathered. They heard Jesus is coming across the sea, and so they are ready. We, we learned that just at the beginning of chapter 8, where it's the feeding of the 4,000. There is a crowd of at least 4,000 people there waiting for him. So now 
It's incredible the different uh, welcome party he got this time. More and more people as they heard, but what were they there for? They were there as fanatics. We heard about the miracle man. We knew that demon-possessed guy. That was crazy. And he changed him like that. We've seen this guy walking around in his sane mind. Jesus did something incredible physically for this man. So let's go see. This is typically why the crowds gathered. They didn't gather to hear about the fact that they were sinners. They didn't gather to hear about the fact that they were wrong and that they needed to change their lives completely. They gathered because they wanted to see some signs. They wanted to see some wonders take place. So here, again, the crowd gathers. But Jesus didn't just want the crowd to be fanatical over him. That's not why he came. He did not come to impress people with some uh, physical, external action. He came so that hearts might be changed. But if people didn't know his name at all, they would not have even gathered to be able to hear him preach the message. So in some regions where they, he told people to go, it's so that his name would start to gain traction. People go, let's show up. We're going to show up to this crusade and, and there's going to be lots of signs. And he's going to take that opportunity with those 4,000 people to preach the gospel. As he said in the beginning of this book, in the beginning of the gospel, he told them to repent and believe the good news, believe the gospel, to turn. And so where there was no crowds gathered, he would tell people, like, go and share so that a crowd would gather so I could preach to them. And they might hear and they may be forgiven. That was his desire for the crowd. But his desire was not to show off his special healing skills. But here he has brought a man, a man who is in an unreached class of people. Still today, uh, there's unreached people groups around the world, people who have never even met a Christian and who do not have an opportunity to meet a Christian. There are regions of this planet that we live on where where not a Christian has stepped foot. Hundreds of people in a people group, in a forest, or, or in a tribe somewhere where it is dangerous to go. It's scary to go. It's hard to go. And so no one has gone. There's unreached people there, but... Even in North America, when some of these people start to leave their regions and come to North America, they they gather in their own communities and they're still unreached. They don't speak English and so they're hard to reach. There's unreached people in Canada. One of those classifications or groups of unreached people is deaf. The deaf community is unreached all over the world. Yes, in North America, we have sign language. And in other uh, first world countries, we have sign language, but all of the third world countries do not have a way to communicate with the deaf. They can try to write, but what are they writing? Like that person's not worth the time to try to teach them those words. You know how long and hard that process is? And so the deaf community is unreached. And here's a man who'd never, it's interesting because the crowd would gather because why? They heard about what Jesus had done. This man had never heard. So his friends brought him. They thought Jesus can do something. We have heard. He might not understand, but we're going to bring him uh, to this Jesus. Verse 32 tells us, they, uh, obviously a group, brought him a man who was deaf and he had a speech impediment. He couldn't speak clearly because he couldn't hear. And they begged him to lay his hand on this man. This man had never heard. This man lived a very isolated life. A life where not many people would take the time to communicate with him. So therefore, he would have very, very uh, big ignorance in his life. 
He would have no clue about a lot of things. Doesn't matter how old he is. This man is uh, has never been uh, reached with the gospel. He's never even heard of God, likely. But he would have known who God was. But it's interesting because you see his friends, just like earlier with the, the mother who came on behalf of her daughter, and with the men earlier in the gospel account who, who brought their friend who couldn't walk and they lowered him through the roof, people acting on behalf of others in need. You see it again. These, this, they're just called they in verse 32. They brought him. Uh, obviously a group of people who cared deeply, a, a group of people who loved deeply, brought him. They spoke up on behalf of one who could not speak. As I thought about that, I think about the unborn. Speaking up on behalf of those who cannot speak. That is our right and it's our duty as Christians to speak on behalf of those who cannot speak for themselves. Those in the womb, first and foremost. And going from there, the marginalized, the unreached, those who are outcasts of society. We speak on their behalf and we come and we speak on their behalf, but then also here to God, we cry out for them. They spoke up on behalf of this man who was deaf and who could not speak clearly. And here's what Jesus did. Verse 33, he took him aside. He took him aside. Out of the crowd, this is not a spectacle. This is not a display. We don't want to make uh, a show out of this man. Jesus was not there for the show. He was not there to do all these physical signs and impress people by them. So verse 33 tells us he took him aside from the crowd which was already gathered, and he was private with him. And you see, in this verse alone, you see the tender mercy of Jesus. How Jesus stoops. How Jesus gets below himself. How Jesus takes time to care for this man. Look at verse 33. What did he do? So, first off, these who had gathered said, oh, can you just lay your hand on him? What did Jesus do? It says in verse 33, he put his fingers in his ears and he touched his tongue. You think about the love behind those two actions. You might read that and think, why? Why did he touch his ears? Or why did he spit and touch his tongue? Think about this man. He cannot hear. And so, all of a sudden, his friends bring him to this man. He doesn't know who the man is. And they're asking him, just put your hand on him. Why does he have his hand on me? And then all of a sudden, if he was able to hear, he'd be like, oh, it was a hand? No, instead, Jesus communicates in a way that he could understand. He put his finger in his ears. He said, this is the problem. I know you're not crazy. I know you don't have a demon. It's your ears. Your ears are the problem. I know that. I see you. I'm getting to your level. I'm communicating to you. He communicates. It's your ears. He sticks his fingers in his ears. This is so incredible to me. And then, again, his tongue. He touches his tongue, and, and it's your tongue. I know that the way you talk, when other people might say, whoa, that guy's got a demon, he doesn't sound right, and he can't speak clearly. Maybe he's got a demon. Maybe there's something wrong with him. Maybe he's just not smart. But instead, Jesus recognizes him. He says, it's your tongue that's the problem. And it's your ears that are the problem. He communicates to him. He took time to care for him. Took him aside personally. It's incredible to see this uh, act of mercy, this act of stooping. When the crowd was seeking for a sign, he removed that from them. You don't get a sign. 
You don't get to just watch and think, how can we replicate this? How can we try to do this? How can we manipulate Jesus to make him do what we want? Even those who brought him said, well, just lay your hand on him. I think we've seen you or we've heard you do that before. Do the hand trick. Do that. And Jesus says, no. That will communicate nothing to him and you will not recognize what this is actually going on here. So instead, he uses his fingers instead of his hand. And he he has another act of communication with his man before this man can hear. Verse 34, he looked up to heaven. He looked up to heaven. This wasn't just like my magic fingers. This wasn't just like some meditation thing. This is a divine thing. When you look up to heaven, no matter who you are in a pagan land, you know, like that's kind of a symbol of God is up there, right? Like, what are you doing? You know, when someone does that, they're talking to God when they're looking up to heaven. And so Jesus, again, is communicating in a nonverbal way to this man who could not hear. He puts his fingers in his ears. He spits and touches his tongue. And then he looks up to heaven. He looks up to heaven. And then he sighed. Verse 34 tells us he sighed. Jesus is just overwhelmed with the burden on this man's life. The isolation this man has faced for how many years? Of never hearing clearly he has some group of friends who care for him, but in general, in a society, he is cast out. He's not considered. And you know, it's, it's interesting because we have the same thing. Unless you, you know someone that struggles with something, you normally don't think about it. Unless you go through grief, you don't really think about grieving people. Unless you have uh, someone who's deaf in your family, you don't think about how the world is so hearing-centered. Unless you uh, have someone who you take care of in a, in a wheelchair or even a, a, bug, a, a baby buggy, you realize this world is not very accessible to wheels. You don't think about it. And so here, this man has lived his life in a world that does not think about him. They just want to throw him off to the side. And Jesus feels the weight of this man's isolation. And he sighs. And then he said to him, Ephatha, That is, be open. He commanded his ears and his tongue to be open, to be changed. In an instant, verse 35 says, his ears were opened. And his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Imagine this man. Imagine hearing for the first time. I don't know if you've ever seen on YouTube the videos of the kids getting a hearing aid and hearing their mom's voice for the first time. Those are tearjerkers. This man, his entire life has never heard his friends. And now he has the opportunity not only to hear his friends, but to hear uh, from God himself. Jesus standing before him saying, I love you. I've showed you. I've cared for you. I've taken you aside. Imagine the overwhelming joy in this man's heart. Because it wasn't just about, oh, well, you, you know, you, you healed my sickness. You healed my limp and so I can walk better. Praise the Lord. Now, this man's life is dramatically changed. He once could not hear. He once was unreachable, but now he's reachable with the good news of the gospel. But the incredible thing is, verse 36 tells us, Jesus charged them to tell no one. Obviously, people would have seen and known this man, but he said, don't go and proclaim this from the rooftops. But it says, they disobeyed. The end of the verse says, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They could not keep silent, especially probably this man. 
They could not keep silent. There is no way. We have experienced what Christ has done for us. We have seen what he has done. There's no way we can keep quiet. Jesus charged them to tell no one because they're already in a region that was aware of Jesus' name. And so it's just going to be another one of these miracles, another one of the special things that Jesus did to add to the pile to make these people more nuts for him. He didn't want that. He wanted them to know his name so they could hear the gospel, not be transformed physically. We all will die. This deaf man died. The man who was Lazarus, who was raised to life, died. It's not about the physical um, uh, gift that Jesus gives in these situations. Because they all too will die. It's about what comes after death. That they might hear who this Savior truly is. But I love what verse 37 says. Even though they disobeyed him, it's because they were, here it says, they were astonished beyond measure. Jaw-dropping. Astounded. Never have seen or heard or experienced anything like it. I don't know if you remember the moment where you saw the cross for the first time. Really. Not as a decoration on a wall, not as a emblem to wear around your neck, but you saw the cross for the first time. You saw what it was for you. You just remember being awestruck. There's no way. There's no way that was for me. There's no way that's fair. My sin on him? No way. That's what happens when you see what Jesus has done. They were astonished beyond measure. And they said, he does all things well. He does all things well. And he says, even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. He does all things well, echoes the creation account, doesn't it? When God saw that he had, what he had made, it was very good. All things he did, he did well. There was perfection in what God does. And they saw it. They noticed it. They recognized it. And out of their recognition of who he is, what he had done, they could not keep silent. It shines his power yet again, not only over creation and that what he created, this man's ears and his tongue, but amazingly, this pricks at the memories of those who knew the Old Testament. This pricks at their very memories, realizing that uh, what, if they knew what the prophet Isaiah had said about the coming Messiah, this was not just some man standing before them. Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 35, it says this, beginning of verse 2 through 6. And they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and with recompense of your God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. That's when the Messiah is coming. This is an announcement. An announcement because even when uh, John the Baptist was imprisoned, Jesus says, go and tell them what's happening. Go and tell them this. And John knew that this had to have been the Messiah. It was a confirmation that he was the Messiah. If they had been aware of this as they uh, saw and took part in, they, they probably knew. And this is exactly why they were astonished 
beyond measure. It reassures us of the truth that this, where it says he does all things well, reassures us of the truth that he works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. For our sanctification, he works all things. Your greatest days, your most difficult days. He works all the things within those days for your good. And here, there's this recognition that it is all things well. He does not make a mistake with your day. He does not make a mistake with the trial you're going through or you will go through. He does not make a mistake. He does all things well. And he's working all those things for your good, ultimately, your sanctification and for his glory. He does all things well. And they could not keep silent. He does all things well. And he who began the good work in you will bring it to completion. Philippians chapter 1. He began the good work in you, your salvation. He, he saved you and he will not let you perish. He does all things well and we cannot keep silent. What he accomplished at the cross for you, he did all things well. And the cross lacks nothing. The cross is sufficient. The cross is enough. So that he declared it is finished. There is no more work to do. He came to die once for sinners. And then that's it. He rose again because he does all things well. And when we know that, we cannot keep silent as these people did. Even though he told them to keep silent, they could not. Verse 36 says it. The more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. With zeal, they went with fervor and zeal and, and strength and effort into all the region, proclaiming what he had done and who he was. They could not keep silent. What about you? What about you? What about me? Are we silent? Are we silent about what God has done in us and to us and through us? Are we silent? Do we believe that he has done all things well to us and for us? Are you going to the unreached people near or far? Different kinds of people, maybe that you, because they're not your demographic or they're not your natural inclination, maybe you just kind of avoid people. Maybe you're not as bad as the, the Levite or the priest who walk on the other side of the road as the Samaritan, uh, as the man in the ditch, but, but maybe you do avoid people. Maybe you just avoid a group of people because you don't know what to say. You don't know how to say it to them. High school kids, man, they're punks. Like, how do you talk to them about what God has done for you? How do you talk to them about how you want to care for them and serve them and serve along with them? How you want them to know about Jesus? Maybe that's a group of people, and they are unreached because there are kids who have never held a Bible, seen a Bible, heard of Jesus other than a curse word. They don't know. Maybe it's single moms. You just don't know what to say. You don't know how to interact. Their kids are crazy, whatever. Maybe it's those who are grieving. You've never been there, so you just kind of avoid them. You avoid them, and then you're not telling them what Christ has done. Maybe it's those with disabilities. Maybe it's those whose first language is not English. Those who are homeless. Those whose marriages are messy. Those who struggle with substance abuse. Are there people that you are uh, intentionally or unintentionally avoiding? with the good news of the gospel, who need it. They need it. What if everyone reacted like you? What if every Christian used the same excuses that you have for not reaching people? 
Would our world be reached? No, not me. If you used my excuses, the world wouldn't be reached. That's why we ought, that's the gift of the church is because yes, you don't need to reach every person. You don't need to reach all people groups, but we need to reach some. We need to be uh, doing it together, united, so that we may reach those who are currently unreached or are maybe the less lovely or the harder to reach in our area. How would the world be reached if everyone had your excuses? Let's put those excuses away and, and turn them into prayers. Asks of God, if you, if you need to remove this from me, God, if you need to remove this stumbling block in my way where I'm excusing myself to not reach that group of people, do it. Do what it takes to remove that from me, from, from us, so that we may reach more people. Because then we want to be like this group of people who brought this man to Jesus. They brought him. They brought him. Are you bringing people to Jesus? Come, see. Come, interact with Jesus. Come, know. Come, hear. Come, let Jesus touch you. Are you putting others first? Because that's the thing. Those people who brought this man would have had to put him first. They probably had to struggle to get him. They're like, he's probably, why am I going? He's thinking in his head, why are you dragging me out? Why are we going to the crowd? You know, I hate crowds because people hate me. Right? They probably had to fight to get him there. But they put him first. They didn't ask for themselves. They probably had needs in their own lives. They asked for their friend. Do you do that? When was the last time you interceded on behalf of another person? One more thing that I want us to take away and meditate upon from this passage is, if you believe in Christ and you truly uh, believe and have declared that he has done all things well, you believe it. You believe that the cross was enough. That if you come as a sinner, he will forgive you because he paid it all. You believe that. The more we believe it, the more we should not be able to keep silent. Just like them. The more they experienced of Jesus, the more they saw Jesus, they could not keep silent about it. This is the Jesus who opened the ears of the deaf. And he's the one who opens the ears of the spiritually deaf. It's not us. We have friends, family members who have never heard, who refuse to hear. And, and it's not our job to open their ears. It's our job to bring them to Jesus, to tell them about Jesus, to, to tell of what he has done for us and in us, through us. We ought to testify as to what he's doing so that he may open up the deaf ears and those who have ears to hear. That was a common phrase of Jesus. Everyone who has ears to hear, let them hear. And then he would tell them. Well, he's the one who gives them ears to hear, so bring them to Jesus. Let us not keep silent. The more we experience him and his love, the more we experience the grace of God and we realize what he's given us, realize how undeserving we were to know him, to relate to him. We realize that we all were spiritually deaf. We could not hear the good news of the gospel. We could not hear that God loved us, that God will forgive us. We could not hear that we have a, a place in God's family. We could not hear that there was eternity for us waiting on the other side with a God who loves us. That we could see him and worship him forevermore. We could not hear. But he opened our ears by grace. It wasn't because you did something. It was because he graciously loves you. That he came to you and saved you. 
made you hear the gospel. Gave the ability to hear the gospel and respond to him in faith. Gave us ears to hear that we might respond and now not keep silent. He has loosened our tongues. Tongues that before maybe, maybe used Jesus' name as a curse word. Maybe you would have never spoken about Jesus. But now he's loosened your tongue. And given you the tongue, the ability to speak his name, to declare what he has done. Here's the thing. He told this man not to go and tell. Well, that's not the command he left with us. After, on his great commission, as he was sending out his disciples, he said, go into all the nations. So we're not ever to the place where he says, don't go, don't tell. That's not us. That was specific situations. We have the commission to go, to make him known. And we don't want to keep silent. Let's pray. Well, Father, you are so gracious and kind to stoop to this man and to us, oh God, unworthy sinners who we've sinned against you. The commands you've laid out for us, the, the laws that you have set, and yet we push against you. We have said in our sin that other things are more worthy than you of our time, of our affection. In our, in our sin, we have said you are not the most lovely thing. And yet, yet you love us. Yet Christ died for us so that we who confess that, we who believe that can say, we believe he did that well and we will not keep silent. God, will you help us? Will you give us courage? Would you give us confession of where we have avoided people or where we have kept silent? And would you give us grace for tomorrow? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.